And now, a special edition of the Toddcast podcast. Hey, buddy. Uh, right on, Dave. Thanks for taking the time, bud. I hear that you're on vacation right now, two of all things. I am. I am on vacation. Jesus, the guy's doing interviews on his vacation, for crying out loud. There is no vacation in rock and roll. That's right. right. <laughs> so how is your camp? Uh, let's get right to it. How is your camp dealing with COVID and, and all of that, surviving it? Well, you know, Camp Ellison, um, you know, we're, you know, we're just, it's interesting. Megadeth, of course, had to shut everything down as far as any touring goes. Um, and that's now been rescheduled for next year. Are you optimistic that the Megadeth stuff will actually happen next year? You know, who knows? I mean, I think at some point you have to act as if and you have to prepare and take the actions as if that's going to happen. Um, because otherwise you just sit around in a pile of negativity and the sky is falling and it's never going to work. And, you know, and, and so, you know, I, I think that's kind of my whole life. I have a bit of a duality with it in one way, because of course, you know, the, when Megadeth's up and running, that's, that takes up, you know, most of my time and, and you really have to fully commit to that. And, um, but that also is a lot of organizational planning months, sometimes almost a year out, um, where that is. <clears throat> and. And because it, it doesn't always, we're not always doing stuff. Um, you know, I've found, I think, with my uh, Ellison solo band, my coffee company, my record label, I've got these other things that I do that quite honestly keep me, um, you know, creatively engaged in different, um, different worlds that I wouldn't just being a bass player in one big rock band. Because I did that for 20 years, and then one day that ended in 2002, the band broke up. And that sort of launched me out. Uh, I had two ways. I was either going to be flicked out into the cornfield with the scarecrows and the ravens never to be heard from again, or, you know, climb back over the fence and roll up my sleeves and get busy and get gone, which is what I did. And, um, you know, I, I worked artist relations for PD. I went to college. I got my degree. Um, you know, I did a bunch of stuff and, you know, and, and a whole bunch of band op things started opening up and I kept playing and, you know, so now it's like, you know, I do all of it, you know, I'm in Megadeth and I do all these other things. And I think, you know, at my age, at this point, that this is, this is, it's a very rewarding and creatively compelling life that I have. And obviously you've made the, the covers album, no cover. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, yeah. um, I was talking to Todd Kearns and he says to, before I forget, he says to say hi, he goes, Oh man, oh, I love that's Dave. He's a great yeah. guy. You know, it's funny. I knew Todd, Tim Ripper Owens had introduced me to him. He was the singer of a, um, of a group over in Las Vegas called the Sin City Sinners. And it was, yeah, him, that's right. Yeah. Brett Muscat from uh, Faster Pussycat and, you know, doing what musicians do when they're either in, a, in an off season or whatever's going on. They put things together in Vegas. Of course, there's all kinds of fun stuff like that. So I jumped in and I played with them and Todd was wonderful. And then of course, now he's the bass player in Slash's, Slash and Miles Kennedy's, uh, band and but yeah todd is just and in fact when frank bellow and i were over we have our group altitudes and attitude we were on tour with slash um a year and a half ago over in europe and of course we're all big you know kiss fans and stuff and bellow and todd were geeking out on kiss stuff <laughs> we jammed some kiss tunes you know um so you know and i think that's the world we live in anyway and i think now with the pandemic and the shutdown everybody's at home going, Oh my God, let me out of the bubble. How do I get out? And you know, you see all these sort of quarantine jams on the internet and you know, the covers record for us, no cover the way that started is, you know, we already have the Ellison solo album of original material. Um, 
done. Um, and we're going to put it out in October. And, and all of our touring um, has been pushed back to 2021 as well. And we're acting as if, um, you know, we got Japan, Australia, um, a Europe run coming together for spring next year. Um, and so we thought, you know, let's move the original album back because that needs to be supported and toured. And then literally at the same time, me and Tom Hazer were on the phone and we said, why don't we do some more covers and do a covers record? And, you know, started with, well, maybe it could be an EP. And I think now we've got like 15 or 16 songs that we did. And totally. now it could be a double album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it will be actually what if we press final, it's going to have to be because, you know, the amount of content. Um, but, you know, what's fun about that is, is it's us going back in time, you know, when you break out your records, at least for me, when I'm a kid, you know, when I go back and I break out in Maiden, Kiss, Sweet, you know, all my stuff, I did, you know, Sticks records growing up, you know, there's, it's like going home to eat mom's comfort food, you know, um, they're, they're, it's like comfort music. And I think in a time like this, people need comfort. And, and it's funny that when we started reaching out to people, and we just happened to be on the phone, Tom was on the phone with Charlie Benante about a completely different issue. And we said, hey, you want to play in a couple songs? So he jumped in and Jimmy DeGrasso and I have been friends for years. And, you know, so just all these people, Dave McLean, Dave Lombardo, you know, just these random people just kind of happen to appear, you know, in your life on a day that you, that you say, hey, you want to throw down something on this, on this record <laughs> we're doing? And, um, and everybody did it for free. I mean, it's just, we just did a little, we just launched a little Indiegogo because there are some costs to it, you know, and I'm, you know, trying not to go broke. And, right pandemic putting records out you know but it's but it's just it's fun you know it's just it's literally for the just for the enjoyment of us jamming playing together and and um and and having and having fun doing this so that's the whole spirit of new cover i definitely want to get like into why you picked the covers how a little bit more into like how uh you know you grab some of these guest appearances because dude it is like just chocked full it is literally amazing <laughs> but i i kind of want to I want to dig into your psyche a little bit though, Dave, and, and find out, you know, how you got to where you are today and like, what is the music in the Ellison house as a kid growing up? What are you being exposed to that leads you down this path? Well, my dad did, did not have a musical ear at all. Um, he was the business guy. He thought very linear like that. My mother had the musical gift, you know, saw Elvis a couple times when she was just a young girl. Uh, I remember there was a Mary Wells record and she was uh, sang with Diana Ross, of course, and the Supremes. Um, uh, there was a Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, uh, in a little 45. That was my first stuff I got exposed to. You know, I'd get in the car with my dad and like pickup truck because we grew up on a farm. I'd turn the radio up and he would turn it down so we could talk. <laughs> You know, and, you know, and it was Neil Diamond. It was all that kind of stuff. And then it was funny. When I was about 10 years old, um, we had a, um, a, a bus driver. My brother and I would get picked up like second or third on the bus routes. We'd be on the bus for like an hour in the morning. And we had a bus driver who um, uh, picked up. He was the pastor, the, the son of our pastor at our Lutheran church. And he had long hair and he was just a cool guy. I remember his name was Dwight. And he listened to, uh, he was a rocker, so he listened to WLS AM out of Chicago. And I live about eight hour drive from Chicago, so AM waves, of course, because they're longer, will reach over to my little Jackson, Minnesota. So yeah. on that, you know, it was, it was sticks. I mean, everything from like Lorelei, um, Lady, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Sweet, Ballroom Blitz, Fox on the Run. 
had just come out, and of course ELO, um, you know, and, and that was in Bachman Turner Overdrive. Kiss Shout It Out Loud was was a big hit on the radio. That was the stuff that like I, I heard that and went wow. And at the same time, there was stuff like ABBA, um, right, Afternoon right. Delight, you know, pop songs like that, you know. So, but then Chicago, and you know, and then I started listening to another FM station out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because you know I was the guy that had to go out and do the grunt work on the farm, like pick rock, walk beans, and you know do do those kind of stuff. So I'd get my buddies from, from town and we'd go out and we'd be doing the hard labor on the farm. And, but we'd always have the FM radio on. And so, you know, um, you know, this is Dan Fogelberg, all this kind of stuff was coming across my radar, 10 CC blood, sweat and tears. Paul, you know, I was not a Beatles fan just cause my age, I missed them. Paul McCartney and wings was, was quite popular when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So, you know, Wings was kind of my Beatles um, until I could go back and kind of educate myself on the Beatles later. Who takes you down the heavy path? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously hearing Kiss and seeing that, you know, that, that drew me and probably most of my, you know, my now famous rock and roll buddies. Like everybody. Yeah, I mean, everybody from Todd Kearns to the Anthrax guys, Mike Portnoy, all of us, you know, we all seemed to, that that spoke to us, that drew us in. There was something dark. There was obviously a fantasy involved with the whole Kiss thing with the creatures and their whole mystique. And, And that, you know, that obviously, that was a big thing for us. You know, that really drew us in. Um, to this to this fantasy world of rock and roll, and I think we all lost ourselves into that, and that that is why we are here, quite honestly. Um, and it's funny that you know then I would move to L.A. Um, upon my graduation, meet Dave Mustaine, we start Megadeth, and Megadeth is the opposite of Kiss. It's stripped down jeans, t-shirts. It's more like the Ramones or something, you know, where it's very just you know kind of high energy um, jeans, t-shirts, leather jackets. You know, it's the opposite of Kiss. Yeah, um, but it's interesting because I meet a lot of people who say they're inspired by Megadeth, and they don't sound anything like Megadeth. They, some of them are even pop musicians, you know, Post Malone, <laughs> guys like this, you know. And so I, I like, you know, that when people are inspired by my music, our music, and they find their own voice and their own path to do their own thing. Has Dave uh, Mustaine changed much in the way that he approaches music uh, since you met him? Not at all. Not one bit. Yeah. He, he's pretty much the same. And, and I admire his, his tenacity and stability in that area. You know, Dave, uh, you know, this is a very different band because when Dave and I met, we would sit around and talk about, we would, the, the idea was conceptualized before we even played a note together. I mean, Dave was writing uh, a song called Megadeth, which was then retitled "Set the World of, uh, Set the World on Fire," um, and it didn't even come out until our third album, "So Far So Good." So what? Um, that was the very first song that Dave had written um, post Metallica, and I met Dave. I mean, literally like six weeks after he was out of Metallica, so um, it was it was a pretty fresh wound. Um, Dave was really very kind of introspective on his life and kind of looking at things of what had happened. And I think he was kind of considering his, his options. He kept saying, he goes, you know, if this thing doesn't work out, I'm just going to go into computers, you know, and I'd be driving. I was the only guy that had a car. So I'd drive everybody around, you know, and, and Dave would ride shotgun and he'd always turn the radio on in LA. It was KLOS and KMET. And back in that day, you know, radio was so cool, FM radio, because, I mean, they played everything from, 
Yes and Deep Purple to Ronnie Dio and Iron Maiden Power Slave and you know and and then they'd have these metal shows you know that would have the the right. newest stuff that was going on you know I remember I remember when Queen of the Reich from Queensrÿche was on like the midnight metal show because you know they were the, one of the new bands and then eventually Megadeth they they put one of our demos on there and stuff so such a creative just an awesome time to land in LA in 1983 you know so I don't know the good Lord you know met had me and dave meet for you know for whatever his purpose is you know and what was that meeting how did that meeting take place like how did you how did you meet him well first me and my buddies were just looking for some place to buy some beer and cigarettes that's why we knocked on his door because he lived right up above us and we saw him walking around in the apartment building he looks like a cool guy you know like and we were underage so we couldn't even buy beer in california because we were only 18 and and the drinking age was 21 21 yeah. And um, so we needed a, an accomplice, you know, but, you know, Dave was cool, you know, and it was kind of that, you know, we buy, he'll fly kind of thing. So we just walked down to the corner liquor store. I still go in that liquor store from time to time oh, yeah. uh, just to kind of relive this moment, you know what I mean? Because we went in, bought a case of Heineken. I remember Dave had it over his shoulder and he was walking back. I don't even, I don't even know if he had shoes on. Maybe he did. I guess probably had to have shoes on to get in the store. But, you know, he was just like the, the quintessential kind of California surfer, rock and roll guy. They didn't, they didn't make people like that where I grew up in Minnesota. <laughs> that was not. Right. I mean, Dave was just the epitome of this polar opposite of everything that I had grown up with. And yet, you know, there I was and he was talking about this band Metallica that he was in. But we had not heard of yet because uh, Kill 'Em All hadn't come out yet. Um, and Dave is a, is a great storyteller and these, these stories he would tell and, and, you know, he's very captivating and, and I soon realized walking on Hollywood Boulevard, there was a lot of Vince Neil lookalikes, a bunch of David Lee Roth lookalikes. Obviously Van Halen was very popular. Motley Crue was just starting to t- really take off. The US Festival had just happened, um, a couple months earlier and, um, Randy Rhodes had sadly just passed. So Ozzy Osbourne was getting most of his musicians out of LA. So there was always like, we got to get to LA. That's where it's going on, you know? Um, and you know, so that just to be there and, and then, you know, to meet Dave and, you know, I could tell Dave, I was like, okay, Dave is destined to be a star. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's, you know, that is his purpose on the planet. And, um, and he seemed very, uh, focused on how to get there. He's like, he had the map, he knew the way to get up the mountain and, um, you know, and as, as he was the general, he needed a, you know, he needed a lieutenant and that became me, you know, and that's, that's been really been our relationship ever since from day one. That's a really good way of putting it. I'm curious, what was your first concert? My very first concert was Kiss on the Rock and Roll Over Tour, uh, February 6th, 1977 at the Met Center <laughs> in Bloomington. <laughs> remembers the date. <laughs> well, and what's funny about it is, is I just saw, you know, I've seen Kiss a bunch. And of course, we, you know, performed with them and, and you know, done shows with them as well. But um, yeah, I went to go see the end of the, end of the road tour when they came through Phoenix um, last year, early last year, I guess. And I bought a t-shirt and it had the Kiss Destroyer it looked like the T-shirt I bought at that show in 1977. I didn't know bootleggers, but I bought a shirt outside from a bootlegger, and it was a crappy shirt. You know, you wash it once and it falls apart. Yeah. And you know, I was that kid. I didn't know, you know. And so I bought this shirt. And so at, when I at the end of the road tour, there's a shirt that kind of looked like that. It was the it was the Destroyer cover, and on the back it had a bunch of tour dates. And I got home and I'm looking at the tour dates, and I'm going, how come they don't have Glenn? 
Arizona on the dates. And I, and I realized that these are the tour dates from the Destroyer into the Rock and Roll Over Tour because they were kind of seamless. I think it was kind of a seamless transition. They didn't change their costumes. Um, and I remember Eddie Trunk and I were, you know, beefing over like, was, was it, was that Destroyer? Was that Rock and Roll Over? Was that Love Gun? Because those three kind of ran together. And, and it's, I love when you get with other Kiss nerds because, you know, and I, we got people to do the same with Megadeth now, you know, they, they nerd out over what show, what song list. And so I get it. I, I am part of one of those bands now. And, and so, um, you know, again, kind of back to no cover, it's just this whole circle, you know, we're fanboying out and paying honor to, you know, the, the idols and the heroes that got guitars in our hands and gave us a, a path forward. And then I, of course, meet Dave and, you know, we find our own path forward and, and we've now inspired a bunch of groups, you know, that, that, that have come behind us. So it's, you know, it's nice to just be part of this, this sort of cycle of life. Yeah, I was actually just going to bring that up uh, back to the no cover. It's out on October 2nd. And you're paying homage big time to Def Leppard with the cover of your album. Yeah, <laughs> talk talk about how what they played, uh, how they played a part in in your musical life. You know, Def Leppard is probably the one band that brought this life that you know I now live in and work in, brought it right to my turntable and and made it possible for me to do it. Like I see behind you, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. You know, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Kiss, these were mythical figures on some magazine cover. It was a dream. It was a fantasy. But how, what's the reality? How do you get there? You know, I remember even going to see Kiss. And when I saw him, my, in my mind, because I was, you know, I was always the guy in my bands that I bought and owned the PA. We built the lights. You know, my dad helped me get a trailer and a van and dedicated one of the sheds on our farm you know, insulated it, put a furnace in it so we could rehearse, you know. So I was really, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts guy that really, you know, you know, kind of held this stuff together. You know, when we had to do promo kits and photos and demos, I was always, you know, the guy, you know, helping put that together on the phone with the booking agent. So when I saw Kiss, even though I was only 13, I went, you know what, I got to figure out how to do that. You know, it's like, it's like watching airplanes take off. When I moved to Scottsdale in 1993, I took some flying lessons because I was like, I got to figure out how these planes get off the ground. Like, how does this work, you know? And I only took a couple lessons. I realized flying is not for me. I'm better as a passenger than a pilot. But I just needed to know, you know? And, it, and I think that's been my lifelong pursuit is, how did KISS do that? Like, how does that all work, you know? And, and you know, I've kind of figured it out now. But... You know, there's always something ahead of you, you know, and we play with ACDC, obviously Metallica are, are massive. You see U2 or the Stones and you're like, you know, there's another level. Like there's a, how do you scale that last summit up there, you know, of, of the top of the mountain? And, you know, so I think that is always very um, compelling and, and Def Leppard because that, because on through the night on the back, the back cover, I could tell they were on tour with ACDC because of how the, the Malcolm's Marshall heads and the SVT heads were set up next to the drum riser. That was kind of the either Highway to Hell or probably the Back, back in Black tour, right? And I look at it, and, and Rick Allen, the drummer, was, uh, I think, 16 at the time. And they were all young. They were all like, you know, Joe Elliott, I think, was the oldest one, and he might have been 19 or something. And so I remember when the drummer in my band brought it into rehearsal, because we were at that time get starting to get into you know the first couple of Maiden records, Motorhead, you know the new wave of British heavy metal, and when that Def Leppard record walked in the door, man, that 
that, I mean, Def Leppard, they, they, they like, I can do this. If these guys are this young and I'm that age, I think I was 15 or 16. I was like, you know what? I can, I can freaking do this. I totally, and that's why that album holds such significance to me and wasted which is what the song we cover uh, is a song I played growing up. And, and in fact, when I, when I heard, when Dave played me mechanics, uh, which Metallica amended it and then released it as the four horsemen. But when I heard, um, when I heard, when Dave played me the Metallica No Life to Leather demo, um, like the, the cymbal chokes, right? I heard Lars doing that in Metallica. And so right away, I've made this connection. Again, you know, if it's your vibe, it's your tribe, you know? And I made this connection to Dave, to Metallica. I was like, these guys are doing exactly what Def Leppard was doing. And, and it, Again, it was this 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 youthful hunger. That record is a is, is a it's a freaking pin drop of 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 a moment of of another you know part of the journey for me in my it, life. It, it really is incredible, and the and the funny thing or the odd thing, I guess, is that they don't play much of that record no. live. <clears throat> well, you know, it's funny. I we, Vivian, we were in Milan two years ago, and the band opening for us was Last in Line. And I knew only a little about them. Of course, it was like, oh my God, Vinnie Apsey's here, Phil Suzanne, um, and uh, Vivian Campbell. And Dave had just mentioned, he goes, God, it would be so cool if Megadeth and Def Leppard did some dates together, right? So I, I, I went over to Vinnie and he was changing the strings on his guitar. I said, hey, so funny, we were just talking about Megadeth and Def Leppard. And, and he said, how much we love on through the night. And, and, and Vivian just kind of chuckled. And he said, he goes, yeah, he goes, we don't play anything off that. Like, like or I, you know, maybe they play one now, but he's, you know, how they really don't, you know, they, they kind of revere themselves more of this, you know, kind of American hard rock pop band. Uh, and and um, yet there's this whole legion of us who, you know, that, you know, high and dry and, and for sure on through the night, like those were the records that spoke to our, our metal hearts, you know, um, because they were, they were a part of the new wave of British heavy metal along with Maiden and Motorhead, Phantom, Diamond Head. I mean, those were the bands that really created, they created everything. That's why there's a big four. That's why there's a Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. And, you know, from there, Exodus, Overkill, Testament, you know, a lot of the other bands that, that we all grew up together. And On Through the Night is, is absolutely a part of that. So how, how did you decide on the songs that you were going to cover? I mean, because that's, that, that's probably one of the harder things to decide, isn't it? It, 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 it totally is. Well, you know, there's a couple of them. <clears throat> um, Wasted seemed to come pretty quickly. I think I threw that one out right away. Yeah. Um, Tom being 10 years younger than me, you know, and, you know, by him, you know, he wanted to sing on everything. I said, okay, well, you're going to go back. I'm going to take you down a history lane to a world you probably have <laughs> never even heard some of these songs, like Bachman Turner Overdrive, Not Fragile. I mean, that right. album, that was pre-Kiss. That, I remember we had a, a farmhand who worked for us, and, and, you know, we had nice John Deere tractors on the farm. I mean, for farming, it was pretty comfortable. But, you know, and I'd, I would ride with this guy. Gary was his name. I would ride with him in the tractor because he had this BTO Not Fragile uh, eight track that he'd play and I would ride around with him because he was a cool guy and I just wanted to hear BTO all day right eight track <laughs> eight track and then of course I got my Ramones rocket to Russia eight track I would buy things in eight track knowing you know farming season's coming I'm gonna have to be in the tractor I should probably get in an eight track so I can well, so I can sort of, sorry sorry about that so I can listen to it uh when I'm when I'm when I'm working in the fields you know um 
but that BTO and the needle drop is a baseline. And, and that, that's what I was like, that's a base. And I remember the gatefold record, I open it up and inside there's a picture of Bachman Turner Overdrive and Randy Bachman's got a Strat, <clears throat> Blair's got a Gibson SG and, um, and CF Turner, the bass player, who's also one of the singers, uh, has a Rickenbacker uh, black and white 4001. And I went, and it was long, it had fat strings, there's only four strings. It's like, you know what, I want to do that. That looks like, that looks cool, you know? So I didn't know how to play it, of course, and I didn't really even know the role of it. I just heard it on that BTO, again, needle drop on song one, side A, Bachman Turner Overdrive. And it's like, that's freaking awesome, man. So. Wow, you are a full-on music geek. I am. I am. I really am. It's amazing, <laughs> like, the stuff you remember, like, the tours of this or whatever, and, like, <laughs> what they're wearing and what they're holding on album covers. And Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, that's why I get it. You know, when Megadeth, when we did the Rust in Peace 20th anniversary, you know, we actually, we, in the late 90s, we did an auction and we sold off a ton of our gear that we had because we just had a bunch of it and it served us no more purpose. And so we sold off like the Peace Cells backdrop. We sold off the Rust in Peace backdrop and Dave had stayed in touch with, or he knew, or someone in our organization knew the girl who bought it up in Hollywood. So when we did the tour, we got that backdrop back from it and we actually used it. Eventually it started to shred and fall apart. So we had to have a new one made. And, you know, that's why I went, you know, I made sure I had Jackson guitars, the Harky amps, the, you know, stretch jeans, uh, you know, the same wristbands, you know, because I, I get it. I mean, when I went to, me and Marty Friedman were second row dead center when Kiss did the 1996, the reunion tour, right? Okay. And because um, we have a friend at the arena in Phoenix, Marty lived there at the time. So we went down and we, had, we were second row, like a couple of kids. And now part of you, okay, now we're older and we're professionals and, and we, now we know how KISS does this. You know, so there's a part of you that you're taking you back. You know, KISS, they, it was basically the KISS Live 2 costumes. And, and so part of you just goes back to, again, you know, I'm, I'm 14 years old. You know, KISS Alive 2 just came out. I'm just remembering the emotions of that. There they are. They're freaking 20 feet from us. And yet at the same time, I'm going, oh, yeah, the guitar tech's over there and the monitor console, and, you know, they got the lighting. You know, I know some of the workings behind the scenes, you know. So when we did the Rust in Peace tour, it, I was, it was important to me that our fans, whether they were, you know, my age and they had seen the original Rust in Peace, or in a lot of cases, they were teenagers up against the barricade in the front row coming out to see the mighty Megadeth play this legendary album that they've been hearing about probably from their parents and their friends. And there they were. It, it was important to me and to us that we recreate that as close to the original feeling and the look of the stage and everything about it that, that we had done back in 1990 and 91 when that album came out. So, um, you know, that's what we're, that's, you know, the music business is an emotion business. You know, we're into displacing emotions and, and, and getting people out of, out of day-to-day routines and life and taking them off down into journeys and, and remembering eras and parts of their life with our music. That's, that's really what our job is, I think. 100%. Is it weird to be releasing a record now? You know, I don't think so. I mean, you know, there's been a ton of this stuff, obviously, online. Charlie Benante's probably done some of the more adventurous. Him and Alex Skolnick have done a couple of the more adventurous, like, you know, kind of Zoom uh, or, you know, you know, you know the, the Foursquare jams on the Internet. Um, and, you know, I think for us, because I think 
this is something we really want to have that lives forever, you know, um, uh, us doing these songs. And now as I'm hearing the mixes, um, you know, I'm hearing them, I'm going, man, okay, we stayed true to the original parts, the original arrangements. It's, it's almost as if like we did a version of Free Will Burning by Judas Priest. And it's almost as if Judas Priest went back in the studio and recut it with modern day guitar tones and, cool. and, and that's what I want it to be. It's almost like, you know, if Def Leppard went in and recut Wasted today with all the technology and everything sounding as badass as it is today, that's what I want it to sound like. Um, and, it's, and it's fun to, to you know, to, to go, to, you know, because when I was 14, I, I, 15, you know, playing Wasted, as if that was all the better I was. Now I've had my own experiences so I can come back. I think all of us in our band, we can come back and, and, and play this stuff um, because we're, you know, our, our skill set is pretty advanced now since we've been making records and touring for all these years as well. I guess it's easier to release like a, a, a covers album as opposed to the full length that you have in the can. Like you need to tour that full length. Right. Whereas it's, it would be fucking impossible to tour, would it not, this covers well, album? Well, here's the other thing together. too. So as much as, look, obviously, you know, when I'm in Megadeth, we come out, the battle's half won because people are already there to hear our songs. They know what we're doing. But when I go out and I, you know, go out and do an Ellison solo thing, I'm obviously playing some new original material. And you know what that's like to hear new original material. And I, and I think the songs are good and I think it, it gets people's attention. But, you know, throwing a cover in once in a while also keeps people attracted and kind of keeps them from, you know, taking too many pee breaks during the show, you know, right. <laughs> because it's like, oh, I know that song. Oh, wow, wow, check it out. They're doing a cover of that song. Dude, so I think totally like when, especially when it's a band that you love, like Megadeth doing any cover yeah, is like, what? And we've done a bunch in there. And again, the way, you know, Megadeth would do a cover, we very much personalize them. We very much make them our own. I think with the No Cover album, it's about you know obviously making it our own, but 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 in modern day version of it. But also there's there's a feeling I think with all of us to keep them true uh, to their to some of the original spirit. And like for instance, you're asking about choosing the songs. You know, um, you know I picked I picked a, a sweet song um, that Todd Kearns is singing on because we're sitting there going because right away Tom was like, dude, I can't sing sweet. I said, I know. Look, we'll we'll obviously we'll make it work so that you're on it in, in some manner, but there does need to be, that's a pretty particular voice. And so Todd, Todd's name came up and I hit Todd and, and right away he goes, sweet harmonies, you know, the harmonies of sweet challenge accepted. And, you know, then he starts sending it back. Another one was sheer heart attack by queen. Um, okay. You know, and that's the thing is we're going for not the obvious, you know, we're not just playing breaking the law, cold sure. gin, back in black, you know, we're not kind of doing the obvious bar standards. We're taking those iconic groups, but we're digging down into some, some pretty deep cut catalog tracks. Which and, is pretty awesome, dude. And, and like, you know, with Sheer Heart Attack, I was saying the time. Yeah, and all of a sudden Tom goes, he goes, dude, Bumblefoot could do it. I go, oh my God, Bumblefoot is the secret weapon for our whole thing, you know? So yeah. he had, I had to said, Ron, can you do it? And I mean, he sends back, I mean, it sounds like a choir. It's layered up. It sounds so good. I mean, I was driving on my car the last couple of days, listening to these mixes. And I'm just going, holy cow, this is so good, man. I mean, and, and it, it makes it, I love when you hear your own records back and they sound so much better than you ever thought they would be. And, and you listen to them and you go, God, I, I can't even believe I'm even playing on that. Cause it's, it's, you know, and, and, and that to me is me singing everybody else's praises. 
uh, around me because, you know, it's, I've been very fortunate enough that, that a bunch of really great musicians and really cool people want to hang out with me <laughs> and they, <laughs> they take what I do and what we all do together and just take it to the freaking stratosphere, man. Yeah. So it's, you know, to hear Doral Pesh singing on Sheer Heart Attack is freaking unbelievable, you know? Amazing. Dude, I cannot wait. We cannot wait as fans. We can't wait for this uh, album to come out. I, I want to respect your time, man. I, I was told I had 20 minutes with you. I'm over half hour now. If you're cool with it, I, I have a few fan questions that I would love to get yeah, to. Yeah, we can do a couple. Yeah. Then, then I'm going to go to the beach and some yeah. vacation. Yeah, yeah, I feel, the, yeah. I feel the fan same thing. I, yeah. My wife's probably chirping me right now to, to do <laughs> the same thing here. So, uh, All right. So Brian wants to know, what are the three albums that you would need on a deserted island? Uh, Kiss Destroyer, Judas Priest Unleashed in the East, and um, the third one, I don't know. I might go for Billy Idol Rebel Yell. Wow. Wow. Cam wants perfect to album in my those three albums are like perfect in my yeah, I mean, every note, everything about them perfect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Especially Destroyer. Yeah. Like wow. What's funny, I listen to Destroyer now and with Bob Ezrin producing and I listen to it and it's like I go, this could have been an Alice Cooper record. Because you know, now that I kind of am more studied in Bob Ezrin's productions and Right, he did some Cooper, didn't he? Early Alice, yeah, exactly. He produced much of that early, early Alice stuff. Um, and yet I hear it and there's subtleties in there that, because I read these Kiss books, you know, and the Kiss guys, they, they kind of don't always speak so highly about how easy the process was of that. And I get it. I've made records like that too. I'm like, you know what? That record was a fucking pain in the ass to make. You know, and I don't want to, you know, yet at sometimes those are the what records that made me grow the most. You know, they pushed me to the limit. They pushed me outside my comfort zone. Yeah. And they, they made me a better musician. They made me a, a better writer um, on, every, on every level, you know. And, and uh, it's kind of like, you know, and that's the thing with producers. You know, some I, producers have been my best music teachers ever, you know, because they have challenged me with ideas because it isn't just about sitting here playing scales. At that point, they challenge your musicality, your choice of notes, different rhythmic figures. Hey, try this, try that, go up, go down, try something in between. And, you know, to me, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've grown the most by by being produced uh, and letting someone else be sort of the boss over me when I'm making records, even my own records. I let other people produce me because I know they're going to hear something different that I may not be hearing uh, through with my perspective. Right. Which actually dovetails nicely into Jared's question. Uh, he says, if David has a, an idea for a Megadeth song, how good does it have to be to be considered? Or how has Mustaine matured in his ability to work as a group over the years? Well, I think the, um, you know, I think some of, certainly you can hear and you see it on the writing credits, the collaborative eras, uh, especially Countdown to Extinction, Euthanasia, even Cryptic Writings. And that's because that lineup was together for uh, a few records and we started to figure out how to work together. And that's a big part of it is, is being able to work uh, together as a group. And everybody has strengths, everybody has weaknesses. And I think if you sort of tap everybody's strengths, um, you, you hear the best of the best. And that's always what you want to try to get in any team setting and certainly in a band. And, you know, quite honestly, um, you know, with, with, um, with 
Megadeth, it's like Dave writes amazing riffs. You know, we don't need three riff writers. Like Dave writes some of the best riffs in the world. Uh, I write good riffs too, but if they sound like Dave, well, you know, Dave and I always had a saying, if, if, we, if we both agree on everything, then one of us is unnecessary, <laughs> right? Sometimes you need the conflict. You need the, the disagreeing because it, it presents a different way to look at something, you know? Um, I'll come in and I'll write, I'll write, I try to bring things into Megadeth that the other guys wouldn't do, I guess is what I'm saying here, long story short, is I'll bring in some kind of clean guitar arpeggiating thing, I'll bring in maybe a vocal idea, I'll bring in a lyric. Um, and so I try to bring things in that traditionally aren't things maybe Dave or Kiko would come up with, or Dirk in this case now. Um, right. You know, because that's, that's a piece that Megadeth doesn't have without me, you know? And I think when we, when we kind of really we stay in our lane, we always say that over here in Team Ellison, stay in your lane, do what you do, and be great at what you do in your lane. Um, that that then you you help the group sound you know better by you being there, right? Right. All right, Dave. I'll, two more, and I'll and I'll let you get going to the yeah, beach here. Yeah. Uh, so Cam wants to know who is your favorite superhero and your favorite superhero movie. If you could have a superpower, which power would you want? God, you know, when I was a kid, Superman and Aquaman were my guys, right? So I'd say super, probably Superman, just because yeah. you know he can fly and he He's always got everything. Yeah, he always had the girl, you know, you know, with uh, Lois Lane, right? So uh, yeah. the, the Clark Kent, and and it, I think in a lot of ways we're all like that. We're sort of the, the dweeby dude until we step in the, on, the, you know, the phone. The phone booth for Superman is probably the stage for us, you know. And you get a, <laughs> totally the superpower. A great act. analogy, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And the trick is, is is to take the cape off and you get off the stage. You know what I mean? Because right. you know, when you're not on the stage, you can't fly anymore. You got to remember the limits of your superpowers. You know exactly. Um, so I think that's probably that one. That that would be my my superpower. Have you got a favorite movie? You know, it's hard to say favorite. You know, um, I mean, the Pulp Fiction stands out as one of the more twisted favorites. Um, you know, and at the same time, um, you know, I remember a couple that I that always stuck with me is I remember going with my brother and a couple friends when I was a teenager, uh, just over the border of Minnesota, down kind of heading towards Spirit Lake, Iowa. Um, there was this movie theater, uh, outdoor movie theater, and I remember watching Alien. You know, and when the alien stuck in the guy's face, you know, just scared the living daylights out of me. I was just a kid, you know. Yeah. Well, that I think probably the first Friday the Thirteenth. Um, <laughs> You know, those are the ones that scared Scary me. Seem to me. Yeah. The scary ones seem to stick with me the most. Yeah. Uh, what are you binge watching lately? You know, I just watched. Okay. So I finished Mad Men because I never saw it. I was, I guess I was on tour and busy. And then I watched yeah. House of Cards. House of Cards, House of Cards is frighteningly real, I think, in some ways. Oh, right. Wow. Um, and then I watched um, Dead to Me um on netflix is that uh, uh the ricky gervais christina applegate i think that's dead oh, that's me. right yeah yeah, yeah, I, think yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's called yep yeah. then i watched the righteous gemstones uh um, <laughs> great show right amazing and then i'm kind of going back i think pre-righteous gemstones was vice principles so i'm okay. watching those and those are uh those are hbo and that's the same guy that did and did you get into his uh eastbound and down i have not is that dude Fucking okay. write this down right now, man. Okay, Eastbound and down. Like, that okay. is... I love him. You know, that's the thing. I, I oh, you know, kind of like musicians, 
when I get into an artist, I'll kind of track with them. I'll buy their back stuff. I'll kind of stay with them to see where they're going. I'm like that Same. with directors, actors, you know, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll kind of track with, with that and sort of stay, stay along with it. You know, obviously I've watched Bradley Cooper movies. I love Brad Pitt movies. You know, they're our current heroes, you know, but uh, they make great films. You know, I, I, I love them. Right on. Yeah. Dave, thanks again, man, for taking the time and uh, joining us here in Vancouver, Canada. We're looking forward to the Ellefson uh, covers album. Who would have thought, man? That's insane. Yeah. Kind of a random left turn, but why not, you know? Love it, though. Love it, man. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, October 2nd, and then uh, realistically, I guess the full length will be out probably next year? Yeah, next year, first quarter, second quarter, something like that. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll kind of because we're putting it out through combat, which, you know, um, I own and we run internally, we could kind of frame it, uh, you know, a little bit around, you know, touring coming up and, and, um, you know, look, hopefully things start to open up. Number one, everybody's got to be healthy and, and stay healthy. Um, as, as the world, uh, as the world turns, if you will, and as it does, as things hopefully open up and, in live music, you know, so, um, but yeah, I'd say probably, probably for, you know, again, first, second quarter, or something like that, we'll, we'll be looking to put out the, uh, Ellison full length, which will be the original material. Deadly. Dude, thank, thanks again, man. We'll see you online. Yeah, you're welcome. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. podcast.